Um, my name is Melody, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, so I have a mentor, and uh, she says that when I have the opportunity to speak, um, it's my duty to share um, with you and show you not the petals of the rose, but to show you my thorns, um, to take consecutive sober breaths and share my whole story. So that's my goal. Um, and the big book tells me that when I have an opportunity to to uh, share my story that I should um, share from my own point of view how I built a relationship and a path to God. So those are my goals. Um, I was born uh, on an Indian reservation in Tacoma, Washington. My mother is a full-blooded Native American Indian, the Round Valley Indian tribe, and my father is an Irishman right off the boat. And uh, we lived on that Indian reservation for um, two years. And uh, when I was two, my father raped a 14-year-old. And uh, so we were kicked off the Indian reservation. And um, I know now, as I tell the story and have told it, that that was my first experience of shame. Um, I have an older brother and an older sister. Um, my sister's five years older than me. She has a different father. Um, and uh, my brother and I have the same father. And what we did after we were kicked off the reservation was uh, we traveled from court to court until my father was sentenced um, to prison time. And we ended up in a little town called Reading. And uh, my, um, on welfare, I grew up on welfare. Um, my mother was an uh, addict, alcoholic, um, and she allowed bad men into our lives. Um, one of them was her brother, and another was an uncle who wasn't really a brother, but he became like an uncle. And um, in the years that I was with her, she was married five times in seven and a half years. And um, she was always drunk. Um, we would get the, um, the uh, welfare check, and it would be uh, just drunken parties. And it usually went something like this, um, drunk fights, bonfire in the front yard, my brother, my sister, and I swooped off to foster care. Um, so I was in 22 foster homes by the time I was seven. Um, and each time I was separated from my brother, who was 16 months apart from me, they call us Irish twins, and he was my sun and moon. He, um, he made every dark moment brighter, and uh, I, um, have never known a love like I had with him. Um, he made the unbearable bearable. And um, so uh, we used to, the, the, the family used to get really drunk and the three of us kids would be out in the living room and it would be games of who could roll a joint the fastest. Um, that was my sister. Who could smoke the joint the fastest? That was my brother. And who could chug a beer the fastest? And that was always me. Um, <laughs> So that was um, that was that was our existence, you know. Um, my my family, um, like I said, there would be a fight at some point. My mom was married five times in the seven years that I was with her, and so um, there were always big parties at the house and a lot of drugs. Um, I did um, mushrooms um, one time and um, was told that I crawled up into a ball and um, I told my family secrets. And the secrets were that um, the doors would close, the lights would dim, the walls would cry, the carpets would cringe. Here came the devils again. 
Um, that was how my brother, my sister, and I existed. I hated nighttime, um, and, uh, and I lived for the day. Um, because my brother and I would, um, we would grow up in Reading. There's nothing in Reading except open fields and tall grass and creeks. And uh, so we would stay out all day when the street lights came on. That's when it was time to come home. And that's when um, the terror of my, my existence was. Um, and uh, so when I did shrooms that one time, I shared all of those secrets with everybody that was there. Um, so my sister one day came home and uh, my mother was having sex with her brother and that was it. My sister had had enough and she called our foster parent or she called our social worker and our social worker came and got us and um, took us to for the first time a foster home that I got to be at with my brother and my sister. She was five years older. She pretty much raised me so she hated us um, because she was a mom at 12 and so there um, it wasn't a lot of love there in my youth, but um, but it was awesome because I got to be with Robbie. And uh, so we stayed there um, for two and a half years, and that was, um, my, my sister ended up telling everybody that would listen everything about um, how Robbie and she and I had been living. And, um, and Robbie and I denied it because we had been taught to deny it. Um, and so, um, and he denied it forever. Um, and so I stayed there. Uh, and at, after two years at the foster home, we got sent, I got sent to a group home in Sacramento three hours away. Um, I remember on that trip with my social worker, um, my sister had been adopted by my foster parents. My brother was getting adopted by his best friend's parents and nobody had told me that I was going to a group home in Sacramento. And on the way there, I looked at my social worker, Jane, and I looked out the window and I thought, there's no God in this world. There can absolutely be no God that would take Robbie away from me. And um, I went to the uh, group home and I stayed there for a year and a half um, and I met my mother. And I told them um, that I didn't want a father. I only want to be adopted by a mother. And that was difficult to do at the time. But um, I found her and she found me. And, um, and that, was, um, that was a gift. And so uh, I struggled. Um, she put me in private school. And I was uh, in the fifth grade with a third grade reading level. And I didn't know how to do math at all. Because I didn't ever have to really go to school. Um, so I, I stood out from everybody. These kids had been together since kindergarten, and I was in the fifth grade and was, you know, they made fun of me. They called me bad things, you know. Um, and uh, and it, it sucked. It sucked being away from my brother. It sucked being away from my sister. Um, and I didn't, I didn't belong. I just knew I just didn't belong anywhere with anybody. So um, after uh, my freshman year, I moved to, a, my mom got a job and I went to a group home. I'm sorry, I went to a boarding school. It's kind of the same thing, an all girls boarding school in uh, Maryland. And uh, that, um, uh, I, I just like, the teachers saw something in me and they, um, they took me like after dinner, I would go to the, the math um, teacher's class and he would teach me math. And I actually ended up getting up to um, pre-trig. 
and um, the English teacher um, would, they would all sit down with me. And, and I never thought that I would go to college, but I ended up going to college. And that's where I learned that I could drink. Like it was my claim to fame. It was like I could drink the football players under the table. Um, and I loved it. It was my badge of, my badge of honor. Um, my sophomore year, I uh, ended up getting pregnant. And um, this is super weird. It's the first time I've ever spoken in front of my son. So um, I ended up getting pregnant and uh, I left school. My mom had told me I had four years of college and that was it. If I went into a fifth year, I was paying for it or figuring out a way to finish. So um, I ended up leaving UOP in Stockton and I, um, I went to a junior college. I had Bryson in the summertime and I went right back to college and ended up finishing in four years. Um, because I was a single mom, I would only drink on Friday and Saturday, and who doesn't drink every Friday and Saturday? Um, so I thought that, that was totally normal, and uh, and that was that was how I, I did it. I didn't think I had a problem. I didn't see any resemblance to my mother at all, because uh, I functioned. I had a good job, and um, and when Bryson was um, uh, six, we moved back to California. And when I got back to California, I found this thing called meth. And I fucking loved it. I loved it so much. I was a single mom and it gave me 27 hours in a day and it was phenomenal. Um, and uh, it wasn't, you know, a couple years of doing meth, like, you know, all the time. It was just Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then it was Friday, Saturday, Monday, because football season. And then Thursday, because football. And then it was just all the time. And I was not drinking that much. I was just doing meth. And I ended up going to jail. And I was like, ooh, yeah, don't belong in jail at all. And uh, so I was like, I'm going to go to rehab, and I'm going to quit doing this meth thing. And so that's what I did. I went to rehab, and I never did meth again. But that's the point where my drinking took off. It became so evident that I had a problem, you know? And the truth is I'm addicted to every substance that alters my mind, that alters the way I'm thinking and the way I'm feeling, and that hides that shame that I am, I was always covered underneath everything. There was always this grossness that existed within me because my childhood had been stolen by these men. And, um, I didn't know, um, I didn't, I didn't understand like uh, how to be like you and how to be clean and how to be innocent and how to be sweet. I was always tough, um, like fuck is my favorite word. Um, and uh, I try and work on that a lot. Um, and uh, so uh, I went, um, what happened is, uh, um, my drinking became an issue and it became an issue very quickly. I was an operations manager at a legal services company and I was, uh, I was like drinking at lunch and I was, um, you know, just, um, I was shit faced all the time and, uh, I could make it through work, but it was five o'clock. It was five o'clock that I was waiting for. Um, and, uh, in the, in this time when I got addicted to meth, my mom actually took, um, uh, custody of Bryson. Um, so I wasn't, uh, I was, I felt like I was given the opportunity to be the 20 year old that I deserved to always be, but never got to be because I became a mom, but that was my own doing. And then I hated the world because they took my son and, um, and, uh, 
when I went to, um, when drinking finally became, uh, like, it became obvious that I had a problem, I went to a program. Um, my, actually, I'd gotten married um, by that time, and my, um, my husband said we had a problem. So he drank as much as I did. I didn't see there was a problem, but I did. Um, I went to rehab for the first time. And it was a 30-day program, and I got out of that program, and he looked at me, and he said, okay, you can drink and you can smoke weed, but only when I'm home. And I was like, all right, cool, right? <laughs> so before, I, before long and before I knew it, I was, um, he took my debit card um, so that he could control that fact. And so I started stealing from him. Um, he was opening a skate park in San Juan, and I started taking the donation money. And, um, and so uh, that um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't not drink, you know? And, uh, and I, couldn't, um, I couldn't help myself, you know? Um, I went to bed, I woke up at seven o'clock, I'd go get three tall boys. I would make those last through the day, knowing that when he got home, he'd bring a 20 pack and then everything would be okay, you know? And, uh, and when he found out that I'd been stealing from him, probably long before that, he, um, he uh, didn't like the fact that I had the job that I had. And, uh, and so that I was, he wasn't, I, he didn't shine in every way, and I shined brightly at work, I thought. And, uh, and so at some point, he was just done. And uh, so um, I never wanted to get married because I never wanted to get divorced. Um, so we got, um, we, we got divorced, and, uh, and I went to a Mission Hospital. I detoxed, and I went to a program called Able to Change. And... Uh, and I was there for 30 days and um, did the program. That was great. I got out of the program and um, I went to sober living. And after 102 days, um, I went to see a therapist and she didn't show up at my appointment. And um, I went across the street to this uh, liquor store called Angels to get a pack of cigarettes. And I walked out of there with three tall boys and a little thing of tequila. And... Um, and I got back to my car and there was a full pack of cigarettes right there. I love the part of the book that says this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Because that is the moment I knew exactly it was cunning, baffling, and powerful. Um, I got drunk and uh, I ended up um, calling my mom. My son came and picked me up. And I got drunk for the rest of that day and I went to rehab the next day. And right back to able to change and my counselor who uh, was new she said what is it you want from this program and from recovery and I said I want to learn how to feel and she said feel what and I said everything I don't know how to be happy without drinking I don't know how to be sad without drinking I don't know just to have a day that's good without drinking you know, it was everything I knew. And I, I was terrified to feel the feelings. And it was the first time at that, that when I went through the program the second time, that for the first time in my life, I shared my full story. And I shared my shame with a room full of people that were in no place to be judgmental. And it was love and kindness in that room. And, um, and when I walked out of there, I did not feel dirty. I didn't feel the way I thought I would feel when people knew what, what my childhood had consisted of. And, um, and that began a journey of, um, of being in the sunlight of the spirit and of, of, um, of 
actually embracing recovery. Um, I did the steps twice. Um, I've done them three times, but uh, the first two times I did them, I absolutely refused to put the men on um, from my childhood on my four-step um, because only God was going to judge them, you know? And I had a hard time with the God topic, period. I, I, just, didn't, I just didn't like it. I made the rooms my higher power. Um, like a story in the big book says, um, it, wind in her hair, uh, she made it the, the big book, uh, the rooms her higher, her higher power. And I was like, I can get down with that. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I didn't want to believe in God and I hated God and all of the things that he hadn't done or had done to me, for me. Um, it was, it was uh, back and forth. So when I did my third, my fourth step the third time, I actually, armed with facts, knew that um, most people who've been made or become pedophiles, um, something like 37% have been molested themselves. And so what I was able to do in that process was um, forgive the child that was Arnold and Skip and all of the various men that had come into my life. And by doing that and then, you know, saying the prayer and understanding that my part because that was the other thing, I wouldn't put them on because I didn't have a part and I wasn't gonna do that. And my part was the all pervasive fear that had followed me my entire life because of that. All of the relationships I hadn't built and all the things I hadn't done because my childhood had been ripped from me, you know? So that time I did that, the last time I did the four step was, I tell the girls I walk through the steps, it's like a freedom I've never known. I've never felt like I was in the sunlight of the spirit. I've never felt so free. Um, when I was three years sober, right before I turned three, my brother died, um, a homeless man in Detroit. Um, he um, fell and hit his head and he died of John Doe. And a week later we found out um, uh, that he had passed away and um, they had um, identified him by uh, his teeth um, from his prison records. And I, I knew I was not gonna survive that without drinking. I knew that there was no way I was gonna feel all the feelings that were involved in that loss with, um, without drinking. And I cried and I would go to sleep and I would wake up and for some reason the big book was at the end of my bed and I just started reading. And, um, and I would cry some more and I would fall asleep and I would wake up and I would just start reading. And there were moments where I thought, I'm gonna go to San Diego, I'm gonna get drunk, I'm gonna come back here and no one will know. I won't tell anybody, but that's the only, that's the, that was the only way I was gonna do this, right? I, ne I needed, and everybody, if they did find out, would, would understand, right? Um, the book got me through that process and unbeknownst to me, this fellowship had built up around me. Um, and people started calling and they started sending flowers and pig cookies. These that was so good. Those cookies were so good. And, um, and all of a sudden I knew that I was walking shoulder to shoulder with people in this program. All of a sudden I knew like I had a place in this program. And, um, and I've, I've had the opportunity to walk some women through the steps and, uh, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful gift, you know. I, um, I went back to school with a year of sobriety. Um, I had a bachelor's, but I got an associate's degree. And um, I just finished my applications for a master's degree. 
Um, I told myself I was going to have my master's when I was 24, but then I had him, and so that was an excuse like, oh, now I'll never get my master's. And suddenly in sobriety, I was like, why not? Like, why can't I accomplish that goal? All the things that my alcoholism and this disease took from me, there's no reason I can't still get my master's. Um, so I've sent out applications to Syracuse, um, UCI, and, um, and Pepperdine. And I'm, I'm excited. I, I get excited when I wake up in the morning and um, know that um, I have a home group. It's a 7 a.m. Canyon Club attitude adjustment meeting. Um, it, uh, I, I, that, that group is the, the group that I, I give a lot of gratitude to because they got me um, through the worst of it when Robbie passed away, you know? Um, I went up to Shasta Mountain with his ashes because when Robbie was six years old, he claimed that mountain. Um, and so I uh, asked his mother, who didn't like me very much, if I could have some of his ashes, and she gave them all to me. And I went up there and I, um, I sat on a rock and I, uh, I told him stories and I, um, I let him go. Um, shovel by shovel and it was like um it was windy up there like seven thousand feet elevation and um and as i walked away from the experience my friend had taken a picture and of me sitting on this rock and there is his ashes i have a picture if you ever want to see it are all around me there you can actually i can see robbie hugging me is what i can see and that was the first spiritual experience i've ever had and um and it was an experience that said you've got him like i know that for the first time in my brother's entire existence that he was free that um, he had never gotten through the shame. He had never gotten through um, our childhood and all the parts that, that, you know, that the trauma of our existence. And I just knew that he was okay. Like, and, uh, and that, that, I mean, I can't, I, I can't put it into words, but it was a calm and a serenity like I've never known. You know, and uh, I tell that story to people often because I came in here so opposed to God and so adamant that, that he would have no place in my existence. Like I was not going to be a believer simply because you told me to believe. And I didn't even want to be a part of AA because of the God thing. Right. But after that experience, I know that part of the process is, you know, it says we came to believe. And that's part of the process. My God is ever-changing. It gets bigger and bigger as my sobriety grows, and I become more willing to hear your stories and to understand your stories and to incorporate your sobriety into my sobriety. You know, um, one of my favorite passages in the big books is, uh, um, you will escape disaster together, and you will commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn that the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. And uh, I love that. I love that part. I love that your story is not my story, but in every part of it, I can understand the pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization of it. Um, and I know that when I walk the girls through the steps, I remind them this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. 
and it will come up and it will sneak up on you. And if you don't have a foundation and you don't have a fellowship and you're trying to work this program alone, I just, I pray for you, you know? And uh, each of them um, in the process of doing their steps with me, um, it's a, God, it's a beautiful experience to walk someone through the steps and to see the calm come over them and to see the serenity come over them. And, um, you know, that's all I got. I want to thank you all for being part of my recovery tonight. And thank you for letting me be part of yours. Yeah.